we have the privilege of looking at these words of our Lord Jesus Christ found in John's Gospel, chapter 6 and verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And what Jesus says at the very beginning of these sentences truly truly maybe you have verily verily or literally amen amen he's calling attention to these words as being of supreme importance he's saying mark what i say whatever else you hear or you don't hear hear this and act upon this and he solemnly tells the crowds because they are thousands the only way you can have life is this way he puts it doesn't he this is our series unless this is true of you you can't have life in you you're looking for a job you're scanning the, the adverts, wherever you look for them. And there you see it. The job that you've longed for. And you look down the qualifications. Tick, you've got it, you've got it, you've got it. You're getting excited. And then at the end it says, unless you have, you got it? Unless you have five years experience, don't bother to apply and you only have four. But the unless statement bars you from the job. Possibly a bit anachronistically, but you see the sign, free COVID-19 vaccination, and you need one. And in your ignorance, you walk in and you're asked your age and you're told uh, if you're not 70 sorry unless you are 70 you're 69 so you you have to wait you understand don't you what the unless statement means you can have everything else required but unless you have this one thing you won't get what is promised so let's first of all look and see what's promised by our Lord Jesus in these verses. And then we'll look at the condition in order to receive the promise. Verse 53 says, Unless this is true, you have no life in you. So in other words, the promise is a promise of life in you in us so let me remind you now of the context the the crowd are hungry and jesus feeds them with just five loaves and two fish and so abundant is his provision that there are 12 baskets left over after people are filled and they 
that's the crowd, they seek Jesus because they want more of this supply for their stomachs. But Jesus tells them, verse 27, you seek the food that endures to eternal life. That's what's important. And Jesus says further to them in verse 33, what I'm talking about is that bread that comes down from heaven and it gives life to the world. And when they say that's the one they want, they didn't understand what they were talking about, I don't think. But it sounded good to have a bread by which if they eat, they will never die. Give us that one. Reminds you of the Samaritan woman, doesn't it, and the, and the water that Jesus promised. But here Jesus then says in verse 35, I'm the bread of life. Now, do you see the assumption in all that Jesus is saying here? If he's saying, I'm the bread of life, it means that those to whom he's talking don't have that life. He's going to go on and say, you've got to eat. And what he's saying to the crowd in John 6, he's saying to everyone, he's saying to you, he's saying to everyone in the world because he says, I have come down from heaven to give life to the world. The world doesn't have life. You may be alive, in fact you are, here this afternoon. But that life is not the life that Jesus is talking about. So what is Jesus promising? There are two aspects to this life. First of all, it is very clearly defined as eternal life. You see that in verse 27. By the way, you've got to take the whole chapter here. It's all about the bread of life. And there's a variety of language used here which helps us to understand any specific uh, concept. Verse 27 don't work for that food that perishes, he told them, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Verse 54, he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. There are other references in this chapter. <clears throat> when he's talking of eternal life, he is talking of a life that goes on forever and ever. Because again in the chapter, he talks about people being raised up on the last day. Again, you can see verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And many other references, even as we saw last week, to being raised up on the last day. <clears throat> and then the contrast of this life that Jesus promises is with the experience of their fathers in the wilderness when they ate the manna. What happened when they ate that bread from heaven, the manna which they received every day? What happened? They died. 
the manna did not preserve them. You can see that, for example, in verse 49. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. And also verse 58. So Jesus promises a bread here from heaven, which if they eat, they will not die. Verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. They will live forever. Now there's a sense in which living forever is true for everyone. Every single human being in a sense, will live forever and ever. But Jesus is saying far more than that because eternal life is not simply existence. It's a quality of life. You see, when their fathers ate the manna and died in the wilderness, they died as the punishment for their sins. It was a condemnation. You can read that in the letter to the Hebrews, the end of chapter 3. They died, they perished. Word that was used in Luke 13 that we saw the other week. Because this was judgment of God. Now if these people are going to be raised from the dead on the last day, that does mean that they died physically, but their death is not unto judgment or condemnation. Look at the way John puts it in the previous chapter, John chapter 5 and verse 29. He says, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment all will be raised Jesus says but some will go to life that's what he means by eternal life life in the presence of God life knowing God others will be raised but will go into judgment and that's the death and life that Jesus is speaking of here my friends that's the terrible thing isn't it about the death of the unbeliever the sting of death that poison which is sin has not been removed so that death is a judgment and an eternal one at that. So what Jesus is promising here is an eternal life with him. This is eternal life, he says, to know God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. It's that quality of life which he promises. Or, again, let me quote to you what Jesus says later on in John's Gospel, John 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, 
though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Almost seems contradictory, doesn't it? Because you see, there are two aspects to death. There's the death that we all enter into, which is the cessation of life on this earth. But there's that death, which elsewhere is called the second death, which is the judgment of God and eternal separation from God. And the opposite of that is eternal life. That's what Jesus promises. That's why this statement in John 6.53 is so important. Because the promise of eternal life is dependent upon it. So may I say to you then, there is life after death. And will it be eternal life for you? And if you have doubts about life after death, then consider the resurrection on the third day, as he said he would, of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we know there is this eternal life. But there is another aspect to the life that Jesus promises when he says, life in you. It's a promise of present life. Because we begin to experience this life now in you. Again, there's a life when all our vitals are functioning. But Jesus is not talking of life, just the heart pumping. Something far more significant than that. God created us to be in his image and to be in the closest possible fellowship with him. And death is to be cut off from the life of God now and forever. And so the Bible is amazing the way it can talk. It can talk of living people like you, uh, sitting here, uh, moving, breathing, but it can say you're dead. Uh, in one passage it talks about a, a, a widow who's alive, but actually she's dead. And you wonder, what can that mean? Well, spiritually, all people are dead by nature. Ephesians chapter 2 says, we live in trespasses and sins. But that life is called death. Why? Because sin cuts us off from God. We have no life of God within us by nature. And true life is to know God, to be in fellowship with him, or as Jesus puts it again elsewhere in John, John 10, 10, is to have life which is abundant life, life which is life indeed. When Adam and Eve sinned, what happened? Well, many things happened, but ultimately they were thrown out of the garden. Their fellowship with God was cut off, symbolically. 
So what's the difference then between being dead, not knowing God, and having this present life where you know God? Everything is different. You remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? It's like a new birth, a totally new beginning. Everything's new. There's new strength. There's new purpose. There's new joy. There's new hope. It's new life. That's why he calls himself the bread of life. And it's not something here, someone, that you partake of and you have to partake of again. He says there in verse 35, Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In other words, when you eat of this bread, you are fully satisfied forever. And you don't need anything else or anything more. Surely this has become so apparent in the last year with the pandemic and the, the lockdowns. So many, perhaps yourselves, what's the future? Is there any hope? Will I get it? Will it all be over someday? But the sadness is that what people are looking for and you've heard it surely as I have many a time. When will be able to when will we be able to go to the pub again? And now we're hearing, isn't it, from yesterday, I wonder if we'll be able to go on holiday outside the country. These are the things that people are living for. How empty this has shown people's lives to be. Is that the purpose why God put you in this world so that you can spend uh, an evening or more a week in the pub with your friends or, or go to Spain for a two-week holiday or wherever it is you go? Surely, made in the image of God, made as the highest point of creation by the eternal creator, surely there's a higher purpose purpose and that there's something far more glorious than that and that's the life that the Lord Jesus Christ promises here now it's so important that you see what is dependent upon this unless statement nothing less than true life abundant life present life eternal life the only real life as opposed to death and eternal death so let's look then at the second thing in this verse what I'm calling the inescapable necessity it's a necessity maybe it's saying the same thing twice but it's inescapable the promise of life 
is held out to every one of us. But to have it, listen to what Jesus says, you must eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Ooh. It's not surprising, is it, that the disciples, or many of them, found this too hard. Uh, verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? It's not surprising that in verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Why does Jesus say this? And what does it mean? Could anything be more important than that? Because life is dependent on it. Jesus has compared himself to the manna. He says, like the manna, I've come from heaven. But unlike the manna, I give life to the world. And if you come to me, if you believe on me, you'll never, ever hunger or thirst again. And the Jews look at him and say, that's impossible. We know who you are. You're just an ordinary person. We know your father. We know your brothers and sisters. You can see that in verse 42. You're one of us. How can you tell us you've come down from heaven? But Jesus continues to press his claims. Verse 46, he says, I am the bread of life again. Verse 48, he says, I'm from heaven. Verse 50 and 51. And he says, if you eat of this bread... You'll not die as your fathers died in the wilderness, but you'll live forever. And then he says specifically in verse 51, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So he introduces that word here. And the Jews are, of course, astounded. Verse 52, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? At best, they don't understand it, not surprisingly. Now, what does Jesus do? Does he say, oh, you've not really understood what I'm saying. Um, I didn't really mean that. Jesus doubles down. He repeats and adds to it to make it even more problematic because he not only now says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, he adds, and drink his blood. And surely you know in a, in a kosher world, the idea of blood and ingesting it is utterly unacceptable. And so Jesus appears to be deliberately provoking them. And surely that can be a good thing. 
if it makes you think. Certainly, they thought and they rejected. So then we've got two questions to ask now. What did Jesus mean by the flesh of the Son of Man and his blood? Both terms point to the death of Christ, to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. There in verse 51, he says, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I'm going to give my flesh. You could say body. I'm going to give it. And that is always the language of going to the cross. He gives his life, he says elsewhere, as a ransom for many. And blood is always associated with sacrifice. Things had to be done with the blood of sacrificial animals sprinkled or poured out on the altar to signify that a life had been taken in sacrificial death. We are saved by the blood of Christ. It doesn't mean by drinking it. But it means by his death upon the cross when he gave himself up as a sacrifice. So when we do participate in the Lord's Supper, we are told this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The cup signifies the blood of Christ shed for us on the cross. It's abhorrent to even consider for a minute that Jesus is talking about his literal flesh and blood. If you took that really literally, that's cannibalism, isn't it? But there is that abhorrent doctrine of transubstantiation. The claim that in what is called the Mass, and the priest has the power to turn the wafer and the, the cup into the body and blood of Christ, and that's what you eat and drink. That is not at all what Jesus means here. After all, he was present with them physically. He's talking about his cross. The focus is always upon the cross. He came to be the Lamb of God, John the Baptist said. And when you talk of lamb, you're talking of a sacrificial animal. In chapter 3 of John, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And he was lifted up on the cross. That whosoever believes in him, here it is, might have eternal life. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ 
is absolutely essential to eternal life. There's no other way to receive it. So that's what he means by his flesh and blood, referring to his sacrificial death upon the cross. Well, what does it mean then to eat his flesh and drink his blood? And may I say to you then again, that this is so important for you. Every one of you, you children, you need to know what this means. I hope I can be simple enough for you. I think you do understand the words eating and drinking. Let me explain to you what Jesus is talking about because unless you eat and drink, you have no life in you. So I said, it's not a reference to the Lord's Supper. This is not now saying when we next have the Lord's Supper, you must be here, otherwise you have no life in you. Now it is important for every Christian to participate in the Lord's Supper. It's a great privilege, a blessing. But it won't save anybody. It's the remembrance of the death of Christ. Now Jesus talks about eating and drinking quite simply because the whole background of his saying is the feeding of the 5,000, eating of the, the five loaves and the two fish, and, the, and of the manna, and then likening himself to that as the bread of life. You can all understand that. Having a meal and eating and drinking. It is very simply a symbolic way, a very simple way of talking, of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at this passage, you'll see the idea of faith coming in again and again. Verse 35, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, whoever looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Verse 47, whoever believes has eternal life. And verse 64 also talks about faith. If you want to understand what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it means to eat and to drink. But there are other pictures in this passage. There's the picture, we saw it last week, of coming to him. That's such a simple one for you children, isn't it? You, you come to your mother or your father. They call you. You come to them or you're in need and you, you rush to them in order to be comforted. Or looking, we have that one in verse 40. Everyone who looks on the sun, and you can go back to that incident in the wilderness when people were being bitten by snakes and they were told, if only you will look on this bronze snake, 
They've been lifted up. If only you will look, you will live. You children can understand that. Instead of saying no, rebelliously, you look because you've been told by God to look and you look. And in that Old Testament incident, you are healed from this snake uh, venom. So there's a variety of figures used to eat and to drink is to believe, is to come to Jesus, is to look to him as a child looks to uh, the father. So believing, I'm going to do it both ways around now, believing then is much more than ticking a box. Yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. It's much more than saying, I believe in Christian teaching. It's much more than saying when you've got that list uh, on, uh, on the census. Well, I'm not a Hindu and I'm not a Buddhist. I guess I'm, let me tick Christian. It's much more than that. In the same way, eating and drinking it's not you telling me what your favorite food is. It's not telling me, you know, I've got all the foods I like stored up in my fridge for whenever I want to get them out. It's not you preparing and serving the most delicious meal. You know what eating and drinking is, don't you? It's actually taking it in your mouth. Chewing it, swallowing it, enjoying it, being satisfied by it. That food becomes part of you. It gives you life, strengthens you. And then the trouble with food is you have to do it again uh, in a few hours. And but temporarily, it gives it to you, and again and again you take of it. You constantly and totally depend upon food for your life. You know what eating and drinking is. So here then is the question for you, my friends, this afternoon. Is Jesus Christ like food and drink to you? You have it every day? Every day, don't you? Is Jesus Christ like that to you? How many have been saying, oh, I can't wait to go out to my favorite restaurant again. There's a longing. Do you have any longing like that concerning the Lord Jesus Christ? More specifically, is it the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your bread and your water. Is it the cross of Christ on which you depend for life before God and for eternal glory? Will you test yourself? Let me give you some indications. What about when you pray? Does the cross of Christ 
have anything to do with your praying? Or is it just at the end of your praying, in the name of Christ, amen? Do you have any consciousness that actually you can't have life before God except through the cross of Christ dealing with your sins? Do you delight to hear the cross preached? Preaching may not be wonderful this afternoon, but it's true what I'm saying to you. Do you have any delight in it? Even though you may have known it, about it for 50 years, there's something you say, ah, yes, that's it for me. It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love to sing about the cross? Is it the cross of Christ that you want to tell to others? Will the cross of Christ be your hope at the eternal judgment seat of God? Well, let me ask it this way. What do you think will make it fit for you to enter into heaven, into glory, with God, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. What will be the qualification? You've been told this afternoon, haven't you? Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I fear some of you would say, well, when I get before God, I know God is a God of love, a God of mercy. You told us that at the very beginning of the service. And I've tried to be religious. I've, I've tried my best. Is that what you would say? I simply bring you back to this, my friends. These are not my words, but they're the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Unless you eat and drink that which then speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ as crucified. No matter what else you have, what church membership, what baptism, what position in the church, what respectability, whatever other thing you may or may not have, if you don't have that, it bars you from life and eternal life. And the reason is very simple as I finished this afternoon. It's because sin is your greatest problem. It's my greatest problem. It's sin that separates me from God, like the clouds separate us from the sun. It's sin that brings the judgment of God upon me. It's sin that makes us to be in a condition of death, even while we live, while we live. It's sin that makes us need to receive life, to be raised from the dead, as it were, and made new people in the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that you will have no doubt whatsoever in your heart that when you are called before the judgment seat of God, there's one thing you will do and say. Just one. Your point to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
who stands there as the lamb that was slain. And you say, God, it's because of him. Have mercy upon me because of him. That's the only unless there is. There are no impossible things for you to do. God has done it in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells you to eat and to drink, to believe with all your heart, to look to him, to come to him and embrace him as everything to you for life and for eternity. Let us pray. Lord, this is your word that we have looked at. We pray now, Holy Spirit, come and convict those who have never come to you, those who have never eaten and drunk. Convict them, Lord, of their sins and open their eyes to behold the Lord Jesus Christ as that, as he who can give them this life which is life indeed. Hear us as we pray, Lord, for the glory of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.